Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Wednesday, January the 22nd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, well, I thought we were going to be reviewing senior bowl practices, but that will have to wait until tomorrow and Friday's show for those editions of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. So instead, on today's show, we'll review some tape, take some mailbag questions, and it's finally official with Miami's coaching staff changes, some notes on all of that. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Tuned In, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review, give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL, voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Check out the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back. And of course, LockedOnDolphins.com for all your Dolphins daily content. We have three articles previewing the Senior Bowl, two from myself, one from Kevin Dern, and we'll have content throughout the rest of the week covering the game and practices as well. But for now, let's go ahead and jump right in. So the NFL Network thought the AFC Championship game, which happened two days ago, was better viewing than the Senior Bowl practice on Tuesday. So we're left short on content today. And in place of that content, the report I was going to give you, we'll review some more prospects who I have not previously seen or discussed on the show. I shouldn't say haven't seen, but guys I haven't gotten in depth and actually done scouting on and always in the interest of the Miami Dolphins, of course, and the team's needs. Plus, we'll answer your mailbag questions. But first, it's officially official with regard to the new coaching staff through the team's official site on MiamiDolphins.com. Chan Gailey is your new offensive coordinator and Josh Boyer, the coach of the defense. In the article, the Dolphins clipped off a specific quote on both Boyer and Gailey from Coach Flores himself. And I found two common themes in there that I thought were interesting. But first, let's go ahead and read those quotes in their entirety on Chan Gailey first. Chan is innovative and well-respected around the NFL as a great teacher and offensive mind. I know from competing against him how tough his offenses are to defend. I look forward to the leadership and experience his years as a head coach and directing offenses will bring to our staff. Then real quick on Josh Boyer. Josh and I have coached together for 14 years. He is smart, innovative, and a great teacher and a strong communicator. So two common themes in that little spot there. Innovation. Dollar and half dollar coverages, rushing one or two guys down front with maybe one or two defensive linemen or one or two linebackers with eight or nine defensive backs onto the field. The radar and amoeba packages with stand-up rushers, the offensive side having all kinds of ingenuity. Josh Boyer has been around one of the most innovative coaches and the most integrative programs in the history of the National Football League with Bill Belichick in New England and also with Brian Flores there, of course. On the other side, the offensive side with Chan Gailey, he brought the the first true spread offense to the NFL in 2008 with the Chiefs and Tyler Thigpen, then again with the Bills and Jets and Ryan Fitzpatrick sporadically throughout the 2010s or the 20 aughts, whatever you call those. He's deployed power run system. He's had quarterback draw lead systems. He created the slash position for Cordell Stewart in Pittsburgh, where he played quarterback, receiver, running back. Innovation. That's the key word for the day. I've speculated on this podcast that we're going to see an unidentifiable system on the offense for a few 
few weeks now, and I think this is another nudge in that direction. The other term next to innovation was teaching. Going back to more previous work on Lockdown Dolphins, I wrote an article back in January before the Flores hire was announced that specifically pointed out the term teacher when referring to all the candidates up for a job with the Miami Dolphins, going back and finding quotes about some of the previous coaching stops they had made, what some of the players said about those guys. Mike Munchak, the old school offensive line coach. Chris Richard, who full on suits up and practices with his cornerbacks and defensive backs at times. Eric Bieniemy who has been the hands-on director in charge of teaching Andy Reid's complex scheme in Kansas City, and Brian Flores, who I saw for two straight weeks briskly jog from group to group with a whistle around his neck and a teaching point for every single position group on his football team all day, every day, throughout all of training camp. Chan Gailey is a teacher. Josh Boyer is a teacher. Stephen Marshall is the epitome of the teacher at the position on the offensive line. Robbie Brown was out there at the Shrine Week practices, so you know he's out there teaching guys about mechanics and making in-drill adjustments as they go through their work. Kirk Kuntz, the high school teacher who we all know is very well involved in developing young men. Anthony Campanelli, same story at Wisconsin, or rather at Michigan and Boston College and Austin Clark too at USC and Illinois. All those guys come back with exceptional remarks from those that know them in terms of how they can teach and develop players at any level. And frankly, Brian Flores just has a way of putting your mind at ease. At least for me, he did that. And you won't find this on the team website, but the Miami Herald and Adam Beasley had a report on a brief interview Flores did with the media down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl on Monday night. And the primary question was about the decision to move on from Chad O'Shea, to which Brian Flores responded, quote, I have a lot of respect for Chad. I think he's a very, very good coach. At the end of the day, I feel like for the future of this team, for my vision for us offensively, I feel like it's a move we have to make from a vision standpoint, as far as how we're going to run the football and throw the football, how we're going to go about meetings and practices and walkthroughs. I felt like we needed to do something a little bit different than we have in the past. I'm charged with having a vision for this team team at that position from the coaching staff standpoint. A lot of thought went into this. It wasn't just a snap decision. It was definitely a back and forth. When you're in this seat, you have to make hard decisions. And that was one of them. I felt like it was the best thing for the team, end quote. So he spoke very candidly about his decision and how much it weighed on him to move on from Chad O'Shea. But I think some of the stuff you heard in there, practices and walkthroughs, maybe Chad O'Shea just was not ready to be the guy in charge of an entire offensive unit. And matter of fact, he went back to Cleveland to be a receivers coach for them. So maybe he just thought Flores did that O'Shea was not quite ready and could improve upon his experience and just overall knowledge and innovation at the position with Chan Gailey. He feels like he upgraded. And if he feels that way, we should feel that way too. More quotes here on Chan Gailey, quote, this is someone who has been around the block. It could be the spread, the power run game. It's whatever. He tries to put players in position to do the things they do well. You've heard me say that often. That's something I've always seen from him and something I have a lot of respect for. He's very innovative. He's been a head coach in this league. He understands situations, maybe some analytics there. He has coached a lot of different types of players. He's done a job of getting the most out of players. He's someone I have a lot of confidence in. He will help us. End quote. And Beasley points out that Flores never worked with Gailey in the past. In fact, he hasn't worked with any of these five new hires he brought in. So it's not just Flores bringing on his buddies. Another quote here on Gailey, quote, he's worked with a lot of quarterbacks. He's been a head coach. He understands, let's call it the coach quarterback, that dynamic, that relationship, how important it is. He's a very good teacher and he's gotten the most out of every guy that's been in the room. To me, that's coaching. End quote. So once again, a lot of folks were worried about Chan Gailey being the guy getting his 
hands on the Dolphins' next future quarterback, the rookie they will undoubtedly draft this April. Well, Gailey is 67 years old with a million years of coaching experience, so I think that was another move or decision to make that move to go from O'Shea on to Chan Gailey. And then there was a brief comment in there on Josh Boyer. Not a lot, just quote, he and I see things through the same lenses a lot of ways. He coached corners and I coached safeties and we spent a lot of time together. Defensive philosophies and fundamentals and techniques, the things that we teach were very much on the same page. I thought we were on the same page with Patrick Graham as well. I don't want to give the impression that we weren't, but I just felt it was a smooth transition with Josh moving into that role, end quote. So again, I think Flores believes he made an upgrade at the position, and I think we all can agree that Josh Boyer and the defensive backs and the million guys that played on this roster at DB, he got the most out of that group given what he had to work with. And if you guys want to read the quick intros on these coaches, you can check out the MiamiDolphins.com piece, the announcement of all the official coaches. Andy Kaufman also had a sit down with Chan Gailey and Brian Flores talking to those guys. We've already covered all the individual coaches here on this podcast, so you probably already heard that. But if you want it, it's there for you. And what else is there for you if you want it and definitely should take it if you need it is Blue Chew. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue, is designed to increase your performance in the bedroom regardless of your situation. Do you need it? Do you not need it? Do you want extra function? Whatever you need, BlueChew is there for you to increase that performance and confidence when it comes to getting between the sheets. It's the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know BlueChew works. You can take it anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we have a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E, Chew.com, promo code MLB to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I wanted to get to this before our first break. We ran just a little bit short on time. We'll jump into some Senior Bowl tape, or I guess some players in the Senior Bowl and their tape, as well as your questions on the mailbag here in just one second. But I saw a tweet early in the week from Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald, who was complaining about Miami not rolling out a big press conference for the media to announce these coaching moves, and it got me thinking, like, what do you expect, man? Stephen Ross came out last year and lays out this intricate plan that is extremely far from from being ill-conceived or slapped together solely with the purpose of landing that first overall pick. That was always, always an added benefit, never the only goal from the entire quote-unquote tank. And I wrote about this in an article that was titled, quote, for the last time, it's not a tank and title. And while the front office's moves would indicate that it was in fact a tank and they left more dead money on the table than any team ever has in the history of the National Football League in the salary cap era, the losing games aspect was just an added benefit. It was never an expectation that they would go out there and lose every single game. Even going back to Ross, again, mentioning that he's okay if they win a few games, preferably at home, they always envisioned a four or five win team in that ballpark and even with the dismantling that's exactly what they got so why would they go out of their way to add more future dead money in a year where they knew they weren't going to be competitive in the first place it's like complaining that they were always in this mediocre range always overspending on free agents to band-aid holes on the roster then they quit doing that and you complain about that too 
And they told us every step of the way that this was the plan. And yet the majority of the media perpetuated this idea that the team was tanking and going only after that first pick. I mean, go no further than that hilarious photo of Armando looking like a total goof in the tank commander helmet. Like you started that narrative, man, and it spread like wildfire. So the team, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't owe you anything. But you know what the NFL Network owes us? Some senior bowl practices, damn it. We didn't get one of those on Tuesday. We will be getting one on Wednesday and Thursday and cover those on the following day's podcast appropriately. And we were fortunate enough to have about a half hour of the practices televised on the NFL Network. And then they went to the AFC Championship game for some reason. But we also had reported weigh-ins. We had some interviews with players talking to the press and coaches and all that good stuff the night before. Some reported visits. And of course, some tweets from those that are in attendance at Mobile for the Senior Bowl. And let's just go ahead and start off the top here with some of the news that came out early on Tuesday morning at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. Mike Garofalo of the NFL Network said that he's hearing, not that it's a report, but he's hearing that Miami are not interested in dumping the war chest on going up to the first pick to get Joe Burrow. That's all he said. Just doesn't think they'll make a big exorbitant move to get up to that top spot where trading up to three remains a likely possibility. In my mind, it's just been stated that Garofolo believes from what he's heard around the league, and he usually has a pretty good ear for these things. The Dolphins will not trade up all their draft picks to get up to that first pick in the draft, despite the fact that Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk said that Stephen Ross has eyes for Joe Burrow, which is funny considering all that we've heard about Stephen Ross's affinity for Tua Tungavailoa. And to me, this just sounds like throwing people sent off the trail to Tua. And of course, it is silly season and smoke season. So I'm not going to sit here and say that some things are facts and other things are false. We just have to know and take it all in stride because a lot of this stuff comes with a major, major grain of salt. There was a great mock draft put out by Daniel Jeremiah on Tuesday morning, his first of the season. He had the Dolphins taking Tua with the fifth pick. DeAndre Swift, the Georgia back with the 18th pick. And USC left tackle Austin Jackson going number 26 to the Dolphins. He is a super athlete, just 20 years old with plenty of room to grow. I think he will be a better pro than I think many people suspect or project for him because right now he is a bit of a project player. So Tua, Swift, and Austin Jackson. DJ had Makai Becton going fourth overall. So I think that dream might be completely dead at this point that you can get him at pick 18. That size and athletic combination with some of the tape that he puts out there at Louisville, it's just imposing and really impressive. A top 10, top 15 type of player. And for Daniel Jeremiah, a top five player right now. We had a bunch of players drop out of the Senior Bowl over the last couple of days. Christian Fulton, the LSU cornerback. Zach Moss, the Utah running back. Trey Adams, Prince Tega Wanagu, they're all out. One of my favorites in the entire class, Justin Blackman, and of course, Ashton Davis from Cal. Those two safeties are out on the Senior Bowl. And we start here with the interviews and weigh-ins from Tuesday and Monday down in Mobile. The interview process with Ashton Davis, man, this guy is fluid in Florinese. Brian Florinese, that is. This from Carter Donick of the Draft Network. Carter says that Davis went through some of their defensive structure from the Cal defense in great detail up on the whiteboard, speaking very clearly about the assignments and the site adjustments, all the stuff that goes into playing the quarterback of that defense. Again, this is Florinese stuff. That dude is a Brian Flores defensive back 
back if I've ever seen one. He's not going to work out in Mobile. Javon Kinlaw, he will be on the field working out, and he put some awesome reps out there that I saw on Twitter and the brief segment on the NFL Network showing the practices. He talks about being unblockable and just having a mission to destroy the man across from him. He spoke about growing up homeless, and he talked about how it's not all about the stats and the evaluation. Just watch the film. He also mentioned he wants to teach young men that it's okay to be a good father. So it sounds like he has the right motivation and says the right things. You know how NFL coaches and players and teams always stress the importance of your why? Like, why are you here? What's your motivation? I think Kinlaw has all those boxes checked, and he has the proper motivation that says he can develop and realize the true potential of the freak that he truly is. Six foot five, 314 pounds, 84 inch wingspan, and described as the best bubble, that's a butt, at the Senior Bowl. You guys know how I feel about that. That's where all the power comes from. This guy's a top 15 pick, and yes, Every single person that covers the Dolphins should know who Javon Kinlaw is. Jordan Love was the quarterback measurement, I guess, big story of the day. 10 and 5 eighth inch hands. And you know what that means. Big gloves. Terrell Lewis, other notable weigh-in. 6 foot 5, 258 pounds and 34 inch arms. That is definitely going to get him on Miami's radar. That length is unreal. He can rush outside. He can go laterally, which is big for the games in this defense. All the stunts and twists. And I think he can also rush on the interior because of that length and size that he offers. Just a thick dude with long arms. He provides a lot of versatility across the front seven. On the offensive line, so many takeaways here. Lloyd Cushenberry, the LSU center. Wowza. Better than six foot three, 312 pounds, nearly a seven foot wingspan. His hands were touching his knees, one reporter mentioned at the weigh in. He's got 35 inch arms, which is so, so rare for a center. Usually it's the guys with the short arms that play on the interior at center. And Jordan Reed for the Draft Network, one of my favorite draft analysts, said that Cushenberry had one of the best days of practice on all of Tuesday. Another offensive lineman, John Simpson from Clemson, six four and a half, 330 pounds, 34 inch arms, a seven foot wingspan. Yeah, I'll take that guy and Cushenberry on day two and plug him in the lineup on day one of training camp. And one of the things I like about this lineman class in general, speaking about the entirety of the class, is the technical proficiency of some of these guys and the ability to adapt on the fly. The in vogue thing right now for coordinators on defense to do is to send overloads and delayed pressures and multi-pressure looks with the different backers coming in on the rush and defensive linemen dropping back into coverage. But these guys, Simpson and Cushenberry, are always in good position to redirect, to shuffle and sink the anchor into a new position once they've moved off their original spot against those delayed blitzes. And another guy that excels in that department is Cushenberry's teammate, right guard Damian Lewis. There is a photo on Twitter of this dude basically going all DK Metcalf completely rocked up. He had one rep they put on the NFL Network where he has an awesome reach block. He showed patient hands, the quick feet to get squared underneath his shoulders, and the terrific hand placement to shoot those things in the right spot. And he had that rep against Marlon Davidson, who found himself in the first round of Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft and reportedly had one of the best days on the entire field down in Mobile. As for Damian Lewis, he's thought to be more of a strength and competitive toughness player, but the way he moved on that reach block is super impressive. If he can pair more athletic ability with the other stuff, that strength and competitive toughness, if he can do that stuff, he's around one type of player. Outside at the tackle position, I took a long look at Josh Jones's tape, and boy, that guy's impressive. Real choppy footwork, doesn't slodge out of his stance or into contact, arrives with an explosive force, and how about those measurements? Six foot five, 311 pounds, 
33 and 5 eighth inch arms. Jordan Reed, again, calls him a potential first round draft pick with an ideal fit on a zone blocking scheme, something I think Miami will do plenty of under Chan Gailey and going forward. And then here's a great tweet from Ben Fennell, players with the most experience. Remember, Miami went after a bunch of linemen with proven durability last year with Michael Dieter and Jordan Mills and plenty of other guys, even though their talent level did not match, their durability was definitely there. This week, Shane Lemieux, who's not playing anymore in practices or the game, 3,500 snaps at left guard in his college career. His fellow Oregon teammate, Calvin Throckmorton, was a late addition to the Senior Bowl. 3,600 snaps at left tackle, center, right guard, and right tackle. Ben Bredesen, the Michigan left guard, 3,200 snaps out there for him at Ann Arbor. Not a big fan of his game, but durability definitely is there. And Scott France at left tackle, 3,200 reps as well. On the inline portion of the offense, the tight ends, Adam Troutman continues to be the Vogue name this week in Mobile. The measurement, the buzz brewing about his climb up the draft board. To me, he's going to be this year's Adam Shaheen, a small school tight end with every single tool in the tool chest. Just have to develop that. And he's a guy that winds up going on day two, in my opinion. Talked about Marlon Davidson. Jeremiah puts him in the back end of his first round mock draft today. He is an impressive edge consideration for this defense. He can rush over the guard as a two technique, but he can also do it from a true five technique off the outside shoulder of the tackle. 300 pounds, just extremely explosive below the waist. That versatility paired with the lower half bulk and explosiveness He could be a real option for Miami at pick 26 or maybe, hopefully, even at 39. At the receiver position, Van Jefferson from Florida. What a route-running technician this guy is. Fluid, smooth out of his breaks, knows how to win at the line of scrimmage, square up the defensive back so he can get the release he wants, and then from there works up the stem and has no problem altering his speed or, or altering his look in terms of the direction he wants to take and has that shake at the top of the stem, and then he chases the blind spot and puts the guys into the spin cycle. He had a great rep that I put up on my timeline. I also saw Colin Johnson throw a couple of corners into the spin cycle, a big man that can move, something Miami likes at the position. And one of the guys that he got on that rep was Dane Jackson, the Pittsburgh corner, a six foot tall guy with long arms, needs to improve his ball tracking, his man cover skills. So he's not an immediate fit here because of the lack of man defense but he is the type of guy that I would spend one of those many fifth or sixth round draft picks on and hope to develop him. And the corner I was most impressed with the few reps that I did see was Darnay Holmes from UCLA. He really challenged guys up and down the stem, was grabbing a whole bunch, but he's got clear ball skills and a physical aggressive mentality. The one rep they showed him get beat on off the line, he did really well to recover and get back into phase. We won't put a bunch of stock into player visits as every single team meets with a multitude of guys this week. That's part of the process. The one you want to focus on are the private meetings at the 30 allotted scheduled visits from the league. The Dolphins don't usually draft players they don't vet in great detail, except under unique circumstances. But with that said, Miami had a confirmed meeting on Tuesday with Jordan Love, and apparently Jordan Love threw the ball like an absolute monster, which should surprise nobody. And we also saw some folks praise the arm strength of Justin Herbert, which too should be no surprise. Jeff Risden of the Detroit Lions podcast network claimed that his footwork changes every snap. That's not good. Speaking of footwork, my dude Anthony Gordon has to be rebuilt from the ground up with his footwork, especially working off play action coming out from under center. Ben Solak of the Draft Network had some fun at Gordo's expense in that regard. I really want to see more of Kyle Duggar, the Lenore Ryan safety. They said he's a position diverse, great return man with five career touchdowns and loves to lay the wood. What a great year to have a bunch of picks for players like that guy. And all these options we have mentioned, so many athletic marvels at positions of need, but also a bunch of smart players that can excel in their preparation work. And if you need to improve your study habits, 
then you got to check out calm.com. We talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side to the game that's just as important. I'm talking about your mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in the body, and Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your very best. For LeBron James, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. He says, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my mind and for my body. And if you head to calm.com slash locked on, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. With Calm, you have access to nature scenes that LeBron loves, like rain on leaves, and so much more, like sleep stories and meditations. For a limited time only, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash locked on. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash locked on. That's calm.com slash locked on. They give me a 30-minute window for these shows on the Locked On Podcast Network. I go over almost every single show, as you guys know, and today's show is going to go long. That's just how it's going to be because I want to answer as many of these mailbag questions as I possibly can. And we start here with Tom Cavanaugh at TomAnik1 on Twitter. Which player do you think has the opportunity to make the biggest jump on people's draft boards with a good performance this week? The thing you want to look for in terms of how these guys compete against one another is that the technique usually will show up on these days because mostly the athletic profiles of these guys are similar for the most part. You're not going to have a receiver going up against an FCS defensive back that just has no chance because he runs a full second slower or jumps 20 inches shorter. So you're going to have guys that have to win on technique. And that's why I think Van Jefferson in a loaded receiver class could really make a huge jump the way Debo Samuel did last year when he just kicked ass all week in Mobile. Next question from Noah DuPont at Noah's a dork. Who's the big dude? And I know what you're talking about. That's absolutely hilarious. He would be Javon Kinlaw. Next question from Leighton Stauffer at Stauffer underscore Leighton. Being a Gamecocks fan, I have to ask you your opinion of Kinlaw. How do you project him translating in a great way, Leighton? He is rocked up, explosive, plays with his hair on fire. He can split double teams. He can rush the passer against double teams or single teams. If you don't double him up in college, you got beat. He can pursue the backside, has active, physical, heavy hands. I just love his game. Position diverse, rusher against the run. He does it all. Top 15 talent, in my opinion. Mike Thompson at MJ1987, US26. Biggest surprise and disappointment so far? I can't answer that because I haven't actually watched the practices for more than 30 minutes. I'll have an answer for you on that at the end of the week. Next question from TJ Brackeen at TJ Brackeen. If you have to draft a senior from the senior bowl in the first round, who would you pick? I think Jordan Love would be the quarterback you'd look at in the first round. You guys know I don't feel that highly about Justin Herbert. There's no running backs or receivers in my opinion. Maybe Brandon Ayuk of Arizona State could fit that class on the offensive line. I think all the good ones are underclassmen, so I wouldn't go in that direction in the first round for this group. On the defensive side, Javon Kinlaw's in that group. Marlon Davidson's in that group. And then two players who actually are not playing this week. They're at the Senior Bowl, but will not play. Christian Fulton and then Ashton Davis, I've talked about relentlessly on this podcast. That guy could be the 26th pick, and I'd be thrilled about it. So hope that's enough answers for you, TJ. Kyle Smith at Kyle Smith 1626 Over under players drafted 11 and a half. I believe they're going to have 14 once the compensatory picks are handed out. So I'll go over because I believe they will trade back and accumulate more picks. So give me the over on 11 and a half. The commish at Kyle the commish asks best late round corner fit in Mobile. 
It's got to be one of those two guys I mentioned on the podcast earlier, either Dane Jackson or Darnay Holmes. I think both those guys have the length and size to compete at the position for this particular defensive scheme. But because Jackson's so green in terms of man coverage, I'll go with Darnay Holmes, the UCLA cornerback. Stephen Cohn, at SP Cohn on Twitter. Does Miami draft a quarterback? If so, whom? If another team jumps them at five and takes Tua, I think Jordan Love's the only one they're going to have eyes for in that first round. To me, Chan Gailey just, he checks all the boxes for a Chan Gailey type of quarterback in terms of he can lead the running game. He can run quarterback lead and draw. He can run zone read, read option, all that fun stuff. But he also has the gigantic arm, the design the design read aspect of his game. He has the leadership traits you like at the position. So for me, it'd be Jordan Love. And you probably have to do it at number five if Tua goes before you ahead of that spot. Next one here from Dixon Tam at Dixon Tam. Which interior offensive line prospects might be available in the fifth round that fits the new running game blocking scheme that Chan Gailey will implement? I understand it's more power run game than zone, correct? It's going to be both those two things. I think they're going to not really pigeonhole themselves in any particular direction on any given week. I think Shane Lemieux, the Oregon left guard, makes a ton of sense in that spot. And based upon what I'm seeing with Damian Lewis and Lloyd Cushenberry and John Simpson and all these rocked up interior offensive linemen, and Lemieux could fall back a little bit because he's not the most athletically gifted lineman, but he gets by more on technique, toughness, and durability. So I'll go with him. Matt at Sal City Biggie on Twitter. I've started a podcast on British baseball. Any tips? Well, that's awesome, Matt. Love to hear it. I would just say be consistent when you publish. Always outwork your contemporaries and don't tell BS lies based upon stuff you don't know. Admit when you don't know something and people will really respect that. If you do a good enough job, people will notice. Want to make a quick shout out to Big Tone and Zach Wentworth at ZWentworth98 and Big Tone's at Dolphins Big Tone. They ask questions about Jordan Love at the Senior Bowl and late round prospects on the offensive line. Already answered that, so I hope you guys get your answers in those ones. This next one here from Juan at Juan Siokre on Twitter. Love to get your thoughts on Denzel Mims. He reminds me of Chris Chambers. Like he's super high cut, has those long legs, can leap out of the gym. Huge, strong, physical hands. Loves to compete at the catch point incredibly acrobatic receiver down around the boundaries and the goal line or the back end line, I should say. I think that he looks like Chris Chambers and plays like him too. Big fan of his game. Adrian Bello at a Bello 1257 with Ashton Davis sitting out. How did the safeties look? Also, which offensive linemen improve their stock from practice? Well, I wouldn't just say from practice, but more so from the measurement, both Lloyd Cushenberry and Damian Lewis, the LSU lineman. And at safety, I want to get a good look at this Kyle Duggar, the Lenore Ryan safety at prospect. He looks like a player that would be a great fit in Brian Flores' defense. Eugene Gino Cooper at lead scout Gino. Why is Duvernay considered a mid-round pick in most draft circles, despite the success on tough slot receivers over the past years? I think it's because he's a little bit tight in his hips and his ankles. He doesn't unlock very well, doesn't change directions, and that's the most important aspect for a slot receiver, although I do believe the slot fade and the slot vertical routes are super deadly, but it's more of a specialty package than an every-down consistent type of thing. That's why you'll see him projected in the middle rounds. Eric Gafford at GT Jarek on Twitter. Do you pick two quarterbacks, one at five and one in the fifth or seventh round in the draft and try to move Rosen? 100% yeah. I've talked about it a million times. I do not believe that Rosen will be here on the roster next year. So absolutely do that. Anthony Gordon, Tyler Huntley, Steven Montez. There's plenty of options later in the draft you can look at. Okay, we have a few more left. I'm going to go over all of them, except for the ones that are redundant from previous questions. So like Chris Huckle, for instance, I appreciate the question, but I already talked about Ben Bredesen. 
This next one from Josh Green Laser at Green underscore Laser. Which player currently in Mobile should the Dolphins run to put their draft card in if he were to drop at 18? I think that's a much better spot for a lot of these underclassmen that are not there this week, whether it's Makai Becton or Calevon Chason or AJ Epinesa. There's so many options at that pick. I wouldn't pound the table for any of the guys in this draft, but if there was one, it would probably be Javon Kinlaw. Next one from Whiskey Hangover at Diamond Dave 305. If you knew that Tua's ceiling is Drew Brees slash Russell Wilson and that Loves is Patrick Mahomes slash Dan Marino, does your opinion change on who to take? What else would Love have to do to change your mind on Tua? Look, there's just way more polished tape on Tua that shows you that he can have the acumen to play the position for 15, 20 years at a high level. Jordan Love, he hasn't really done that yet. He's gotten by on the physical traits. So, and that's, you know, as much as I love physical traits, the aptitude for the position is what makes guys special. It's what made me love Kyler Murray as much as his ability to run the football or Baker Mayfield for the personality, more so his ability to move defenses with his eyes, his feet, his body position. So I think that Tua has shown an aptitude for all that stuff, which to me translates to a high success rate of him being a great quarterback, whereas Jordan Love has a long way to go in that regard. So if I'm taking a high top five pick, I'd take the guy that is more of a proven commodity and Jordan Love, all he could do is just play better football with a better acumen that way. And the only thing he can do to do that is to play in the NFL. So there's nothing he can do at this stage. Logan Horner at Logan underscore 80. Your thoughts on Jawan Jennings? Full transparency, got to get a closer look. I'm not sure. Anthony Reeker at FinFan7. Can Kinlaw be a Richard Seymour type in Flores' defense? Yeah, I think he can move around in that same regard and be that big 3-4 base defensive end, 3-3 end. He can be a nickel interior rusher when you go dime or dollar defense. Absolutely think that's true, Anthony. He could definitely be Richard Seymour. Marino is better at Pardagas N on Twitter. Do you think Cushenberry falls to our fourth rounder? Absolutely not. Day two pick at the worst. And the last one here from Dolphins 5 and 11 at Let's Go Blue Jays 2. Do you think the Dolphins should draft a receiver sometime in this draft? And if yes, what round and who would you target? I love Tyler Johnson from Minnesota. And I think all these picks that we talk about receivers start on day three. So the fourth round, probably the fifth and sixth round as well. Big Van Jefferson fan from Florida. Think that Tyler Johnson from Minnesota is a great option there. Devin Duvernay from Texas. Colin Johnson from Texas. I mean, this class is just so loaded that you're going to get a good player in that fourth round if you want him there. The Dolphins are super deep at receiver and good at the position, but if they do go that route, it's got to be day three for sure. All right, that was a fun extended edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. I have some big news for the Sunday night podcast. We're going to get Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network and the Fin It to Win It podcast on the show to talk about the entire week in Mobile. Ahead of that, on the next couple of shows, we'll give you all the practice reports I promised for today's podcast as they're going to air both practices on ESPNU on both Wednesday and Thursday. So check that out. Check out the article on LockdownDolphins.com after those practices. And of course, your coinciding Locked On Dolphins podcast. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a full Senior Bowl practice report here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.